So tonight, what I'd like to do is just test a little bit of data on you. And I've been on a bit of a quest. Um, I have been for a long time. If you, is anyone here aware of the Enneagram system where they do personality profiles? All right. Any, on an Enneagram, I'm a five and a one. So what that means is uh, I, I dedicate my whole life to finding whatever the biggest problem is that exists. And I can't find resolution until I've squared away that there's an answer to it. And the one in me will galvanize anyone around me who will listen to come with on that journey. And so I'm wanting on you tonight. Uh, but I've spent the last, the last um, well, really seven years um, fiving this. But, but the last few months, um, I've been commissioned by Church of Christ Queensland to, uh, to write a white paper into the future of the movement, as in where, where is Christianity going uh, in Queensland particularly, because there is nothing written on that, and, um, and what part that we might play in that. And so as part of that, I've had to investigate and, and sort of uh, synthesise a whole heap of data. So tonight's going to be a little bit TED talky, but I'll try and bookend it with a little bit of, uh, you know, discipleship input as well. But I'd just like to test the data on you and see if it, if it resonates. Um, but I've entitled this, this talk Refresh, and you'll, you'll recognise that, that symbol up there. It's what happens when your computer freezes and you hit F5. If it doesn't work, control or delete or just switch that sucker off and hope something will be there when you start it back up again. Uh, hit the reset button. And I think in many ways, uh, God is hitting F5 on the church globally. And it's not like it was a surprise. We, uh, if, if you uh, were listening to any of the prophetic voices globally um, from about uh, 2018, for about two years, the Lord was speaking quite clearly prophetically globally saying that there is a shaking coming and that the church, but it's a church that's going to be shaken. And uh, we all go, great, great. We have no idea what, what that means. We just think, whatever, until you hit a thing like COVID in 2019 or 2020. And, uh, and the world, the church world, had seen nothing like that probably since the days of the plague. And so we find ourselves in this very interesting position. But for the years pre-COVID, I'd been on a bit of a research bent anyway um, to have a look at what was going on in the world. But I was in a, uh, a conference the other day with some thought leaders globally, uh, and particularly a man called Ed Stetzer, who's... Um, He's a great missiologist, a uh, great um, academic on this sort of stuff. And he summed up his whole talk, uh, it was a 90-minute talk, he summed it up with one sentence. When COVID hit, the church world caught fire and our discipleship didn't hold. The back third of the church rose emptied and we haven't got them back yet. <laughs> that was it. And by the, by the back third of the church, what he was saying is in the church there, if you can draw it in concentric circles, you have the, the committed core, they'll lay your life down, mortgage the house to make this work group. You know, there's always a few, a handful of them in, the, in every good church, you know. And then you have a, another group that are the committed and they turn up and they're, the, they're your people. They, they, you know, that's, these are the people that they make this place what it is. And they're, they're there most weeks, they're, they're contributing, they're serving, they're doing all that kind of stuff. And the back third uh, of a church like uh, a Baptist or like this or a Pentecostal church um, is those who come when it's convenient sort of thing. They're, 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 they've got busy lives. They're not necessarily connected to this church. They might go to two or three it's loosely connected with the church, but often there's a third of the church like that. And that's the third that left because through COVID, it decimated attendances globally, decimated church attendance. And yet the offerings and giving and, and uh, the soul of the church didn't move an inch. And it really showed up the people that, that disbanded were not the ones who were committed, the committed state. And uh, it was a fasc fascinating dynamic. And a great migration that had already began um, of church world where people were starting to disengage from their church of their youth um, was beginning to uh, already take place, and COVID accelerated that rapidly. So what was going to take probably 10 or 15 years 
really happened in 18 months. And, and the shock of that is still working its way through. We've had good signs in um, late 2022, early 23 of people coming back to church, but there's been a great migration, a great shift, because people have, they've been set free from cultural captivity uh, where they were rostered on and they couldn't get out of that roster, you know, because it's like, oh, I can't let people know I hate the church now because uh, I'm on roster. So I've got to turn up and put the chairs out or something, you know. That's, that had a circuit breaker, and so they found new places to go to church. Um, but so in the, in the wake of all of that, and there is no real data yet in Australia for what's happened uh, since, say, the second half of last year. But the church is definitely, it was already in need of renovation. Some would say a revolution. And so we're in the midst of that. So the, the, the really the choice is, are we going to have an evolution or a revolution? But change is here. Change is upon us. It's already happened. But what, how we piece all this back together again to form what is a, what is a normal local church? All those dials have, have been reset. Uh, you, can't, you can't apply the old formulas from years gone by. In Acts 3.19, we've been going right through Acts uh, up until chapter 4, and there was a key verse that I think it was Sandy preached on, Acts 3.19, repent then, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come to the Lord. And this is where I'm talking about refreshing. So now and again, God hits the reset button, as he did back then on his people. He said, this is long overdue for a reset. So it was a cataclysmic reset. It was revolution back then. And every, every now and again, probably every three or 400 years, we see a, a quite a seismic shift in the church world. We saw it uh, through the Reformation, for example. We saw it when uh, Constantine um, made the church and joined church and state um, in the 300s, I think it was, uh, AD. And then we've had a number of these sorts of shifts uh, in the meantime. But it's interesting the way we've now grown up. All of us will have grown up. See, what did you do tonight? You came to church, right? You came to church. But that word church, that's not actually what Jesus said. When he said, I will build my church, he didn't say, uh, I'm going to build a building. And you've probably heard throughout your Christian life, if you've been a Christian more than 10 minutes, what this word church means. And he said, I will build my ecclesia. I will build my people. My and they will gather. And it wasn't meaning that they will gather just like they were gathering as they were then. In Jesus' day, there were two ways they gathered. There was the temple and there was the synagogue. And that's what God's people did. If they couldn't get to the temple, they had to go to a local synagogue. But, but their life, their, their God life was location-oriented. And he said, I'm going to build my people. And the people I'm looking for are those who worship in spirit and truth. So in John 4, where the woman at the well said, you, you, you guys believe you've got to go to the temple to meet with God. He says, no, we're looking for people who will meet in spirit and truth because God is spirit. God is not confined to a building. And so Jesus didn't use the word uh, church. Church is actually a German-oriented word, Kirche. And Kirche came in after Constantine became a Christian, a Roman emperor, and he wasn't going to come to a place like this. He wasn't going to go into a house, which is where people used to meet, uh, or in the open, under a tree somewhere. He wasn't going to go there. He was a king. So with all that regalia and all the people that followed him, he, he had to go to a building. So they built a building, which they called the Basilica. And that became where that word came from, the, all, the, all the old Roman Catholic basilicas. Uh, Constantine started that. And, and church and state joined and all the money came with it and, and all, all about that. But then that word basilica in German was uh, Kirche, which we now say church. So we've actually changed the whole concept of church to say it's a building again. And we've taken away. But Jesus said, no, this isn't, this isn't church. Church is my people where and however they gather, in whatever form that takes. 
It can use buildings and budgets. It's not, it's not constrained away from that, but it's not constrained to it either. Okay, so it's a very different mindset. And so now we're at the point where a lot of movements have gone throughout the world and we're in due for a refresh again because this isn't working the way it used to work. Kirche has failed in many ways, but not fully. Interestingly, not fully because a lot of people still love, as we've proven here, um, that people still love to come to Kirche. People love the ecclesia likes to gather. Once a week we like to be in a room because with the, there's gifts exercise, we have resources, we have gifted band members. It's, it's a good experience where we can be filled mentally, spiritually, prayed for, baptised, all these things. It's a great dynamic, and so it's not really getting old. This, the, the rhythm of this isn't getting old. It's just the way that we do this is getting a bit old. Let's look, let's look at it with some data. Can we put the thermometer, the first thermometer up on the screen there? This is the latest data that came from McCrindle on the spirituality of Australia. And particularly, if you understand or have heard of a thing called an angle scale of spirituality, what it's saying is people from a spectrum of minus 10, zero, plus 10, that's the journey of spirituality. Minus 10 is, I don't believe in anything past that my deathbed. There is no eternity, there is no God, there's no spiritual realm, and I'm against it. And you slowly come further and further down, uh, sorry, in this one, up towards awareness of the eternal, awareness of morality, awareness of the consequences of sin to the point where you realise, I need someone to pay this price for me. And you cross the line at zero where you've placed your faith in Christ uh, to pay the price for your sin. And so what he's done there, he's just measured the non-Christian-y sort of world. And he's saying 26% of Australian population as at 2021 were cool. In other words, don't bug me with your Bible talk. Don't do it. And so, please, don't do it. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't help. There's, there are steps people need to take along that journey, and God draws them on that journey. But 12% were neutral. They believe in religious freedoms, but they don't necessarily want to get involved. They're the phlegmatic personalities going, look, have, have your jihad, have your Christian crusades, it's okay, but just don't involve me in that whole conversation. I'm, I'm ambivalent, I'm out. But then 24% of us are warm. They haven't bought in yet, but they're open to the idea. And I don't know whether you remember the warm stage of your, your life. I very much remember a three to six month moment in my life where I became, I'd gone from like minus six to being warm. I thought, I'm open, have a chat. And so I had talks with uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, everybody. I was just interested in the whole God thing. And so 24% of people are warm but 38% of Australians still consider themselves to be Christian. See, we, we think everything's dark, but 38% still believe they're Christian. Now, 38% believe they're Christian, 24% are warm, but only 16% go to church. So that tells us a whole lot, because 46% more people, because if we add the 16 if we take 16 away from, say, 38 plus 24, 46% of extra people could come to a Christian expression of ecclesia that worked for them, that was probably different to the conventional church experience that we find that people have been slowly walking away from. 46% extra of the population, that's millions of people, um, uh, may well be open. There's a huge harvest field out there, massive harvest field, almost half of Australia that would be open. So people are actually open to God, 
but not the current version of church, of Kirche. There's something about it that's gone a little bit on the nose. Let's, let's have a look at the next chart. This is fascinating data, and some of this data is really hard to find, but if you dig around, you can find it. And the, the thing you need to do is put it all together. What we can see there is three groups of people. Now, override all of this, that in, in Australia, for the last 30 years, since 1990, the church has been declining in the number of churches, 1% to 2% every year. Our movement did that um, in the last 20 years, but in the last five, it's dropped another 10. Now, Church of Christ Australia has dropped another 10% in five years. A real drop-off, plus a whole heap of other denominations as well. This is the number of churches. So in these three groups of churches, you see that these groups are based on size, one to 50, or say under 50, 50 to 100 in the middle, and of 100 and over, and this is talking about weekly attendance. So our church here on a Sunday is averaging around 300 in attendance um, over the Sunday. So we're in that over 100 category. But Australia is actually a church of small churches. Um, in Australia, 50% of churches are uh, this size, under 50. Or there'd be, say there's 50 here, often there's 60, 65 people here at night. So half of the churches in Australia are that size. But, but of those, and this, this chart here shows you which ones are, oh, my grade didn't work, did it? It was designed for a white page. The red talks about the amount of churches that are declining. So of the 1% or 2% of churches that are dropping off every year, 49% of them are churches that are under 50. So half of them are the, are the smaller churches. They're the ones that are suffering. The middle group's sort of holding its own a little bit, but the churches of over 100 only account for 23% of the churches that are declining. So you, have, you hit this tipping point where if your church is over 100, it's much more likely to be growing because 47%, the purple, of the churches that are growing, getting bigger, are ones that are already big. So the bigger getting bigger and the smaller getting fewer, not smaller. They're just stopping. They're just dying. And so that's a really interesting stat and there's a lot, of, there's a lot that we can actually learn from that. What it's saying is that... If, that because the rate of people who go to church has not declined. The number of churches has declined, 1% or 2%. The actual attendance rate has gone over the last 20 years, or say 10, 15%, 15%. It's actually gone up to 16% in recent years. So it's, it's holding its own. It's doing well. But people are leaving small churches that are failing and they're coming to bigger churches. Now, that may seem exciting, but there's a lot of danger in that. This is what worried me. Uh, as I preluded to starting this church in 2019. Um, because 50% of churches are under 50, 78% of our churches are under 150. So if you look at that graph, we're in that sort of spot. And now back, back to what, yep. So we're, we're sort of in that where it says 5.3. We're, we're pretty much there. You look at, that's how many churches of these different sizes exist in Australia. So I've now interviewed... Um, before starting here and then since being here, about 1,200-odd meetings, maybe more, where because there's no data on what people actually want in Australia about what they want from church. We, can, we, we have NCLS measurements of what's healthy and all this kind of stuff, but no one's actually asked the question, what do you want of the people who are looking for a Christian community? So I did, and I continue to do that. So I've had about 1,200 meetings. And it's fascinating because that sweet spot there, that circle, that is what people are saying if pressed what sort of a church would you like if you had to pick a number? Because they normally don't talk in those terms. 
but they definitely don't say, I want a mega church. I don't think I've spoken to anyone yet, maybe because they've come to us. But no, there's only one church that's 5,000 and above. I don't know whether you've heard of that one. It's got a famous name. And then there's 0.2%, which is only two or three um, that are around that site. This mega church thing, or even 1,000 to 2,000, you can see it's only 1.5% of churches are that size. And I don't know anyone who's asking for it. I haven't met them yet. But maybe that's because I'm, I'm a bit of a small church guy. I've, I've been in that scene. I, I like that scene myself. But I'm not sure the more I assess um, what is church, what is ecclesia, and I don't want to put those places down because they serve a really positive purpose if done well. But I, I, I would hesitate to call it church as Jesus called church. I would hesitate to call it an ecclesia gathering just because of the dynamics of what is ecclesia. We're at the point now, even at 300, where I'm starting to question it. Is what we're doing here on a Sunday ecclesia? Much easier here because you can't escape. I can eyeball you, I know your name, I know the stories. But when there's 250 people in the room like there was this morning, for me, that's not ecclesia. That's a gathering. And we're getting over a tipping point there where we're becoming the problem again, not the solution to the problem. Right? So this is the sort of stuff that's rattling in my head. The reason this is a drama is that if people are leaving these churches, they're getting less and less of these. They're coming to these churches, but look how many there are. They're declining too. The thing that people are asking for the most is actually becoming the hardest thing to find. You try finding a healthy church of 150 to 300 people. They're really hard to find. Now, I don't say that you know, as a criticism. It's just a reality. Um, a lot of them are, are falling you know, sort of very slowly back into this, this space over here of the 100 to 149, then another 10 or 15. Yeah, it's, a, it's quite a debilitating process in church world to sort of slowly atrophy away like that. So the size that people want is the size that's becoming hardest to find. And I can give you a lot of information as to why. Uh, there's some pretty obvious reasons. Um, doing church at our size, I don't know whether you're on our volunteer teams here. Um, I mean, we, we put on a fairly good Sunday. We don't, we're not pushing for perfection, but we, we try to do it well. It's a lot of work by a lot of people. There's a lot of sacrifice. And if people are under pressure, if we go to COVID, if, if things start going wrong, people start wanting to tap out of that. And so to, to reverse that trend takes something that's well-organised, um, a high group of highly committed people and so on, with, a, with a, a really good reason to keep doing what they're doing. And so we work pretty hard at that, and it's time for us to take it to a whole new level. So we'll just sort of leave that one up there for a while. But what that's saying is, what, when I started looking at this data seven years ago, I saw that there was a cliff appearing that at the time was 10 or 15 years away, where I'm thinking people are looking for a church at a certain size and those churches are disappearing faster than we can replace them. And so people are saying, well, I'll, 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 go, to a big, I'll go to a big, big church where the programs are good, where they protect my kids and it's good programs, good show. But knowing that at the end of the day, that's not ecclesia. There's no connection going on. Very hard to find connection when there's 3,000 people in a room. It's very exciting, it's very hypey, but it's not fueling my soul, it's not building connection. I haven't got the chance to do that. So what, where is that going to go? Where it goes is what Terry Williams has told us from Scripture Union, it's 50,000 children every single year are departing from the church at grade 12, seven years ago. There'd be a lot more now, I'm expecting. That's what it looks like. And so I saw this cliff coming. That was, Now it's not 10 and 15 years away, now it's now. Now it's right here. It accelerated uh, incredibly through COVID. 
So I actually get, I get off on this stuff. I, I, get, I get really excited. I think, well, that's shocking news. But I see wherever there's a crisis, there's always an opportunity. It just, it compels us to, it forces us to find a way that the kingdom will work because the kingdom never retreats. It just finds a new way. It just morphs itself into what it needs to be, to be rebirthed. A reformation happens. You know, whatever it would be will happen. And for me, it's the only thing is, is it going to be an evolution or is it going to be a revolution? I'm hoping for the evolution because revolutions are really painful, but we'll just see how it goes. So for me, the answer to this problem is really, was really, really obvious. It's to plant new churches or to revitalize existing churches. So hence, here we are. We started this church four years ago because of these, this sort of data. The trouble with, with just starting a church and you do it reasonably well, you do a pretty good job, people come, it mostly becomes transfer growth. People come from all sorts of movements. We have even in the room tonight, we'll have Uniting, Presbyterian, Baptist, Pentecostal, Calathumpian, I don't know where we're all from. It's just, it's a fruit salad. It's a fruit salad. And we've all come here for different reasons, even more so in the morning. We've got Lutherans, we've got Brethrens, we've got all sorts of people coming in, and they've all come in with their history, their doctrines, their way they do stuff, but they've put a lot of that aside and they've come into the room because they found Ecclesia. We found some community based on commonality. And, but now we've grown. So what do you do with that? Do you go and just plant other churches? Well, yes, the, plant, the, the planting idea is what we were about and what we are about. But if we just plant a church full of people who are just wanting to find a good church, that has already consigned it to the long tail of death because all we're doing is just shifting the seats around with comfortable people, making sure they're comfortable closer to home. See, I want, to have a, I want to have a fellowship in sort of Belbarry Moggle, Centenary, Karana Downs, Ashgrove, those sort of places that are like 10 to 20 minutes drive away from us. But if, if we do that, and, I, and we could have possibly done that already, but if we do that just to get comfortable and more comfortable in a new place, it's a waste of time and money. And it just drains all those churches of resources. We just become a church of 50 again in those locations and we struggle again. So why would we do it? All right, let's go back to the scripture. In Acts 3, repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Terms, times of refreshing may come from the Lord. We need a time of refreshing, but it's not just church plants. They're proven to be the best evangelistic tool globally. It's, uh, they're the best way to reach new people, the best way to reach new communities, the best way to reach unbelievers. It's proven. Uh, but only if they operate as an ecclesia that's reaching out. So there's something missing that's causing us to keep throttling up against this comfort thing that we've got. And I'm worried right now because Kenmore Church is a great place to be. I love our church. It's way too comfortable for my liking right now. Way too comfortable. But what do I do about that? Do I blow it up? I've seen, I've seen pastors do this. Got a spirit of stupid about them, I think, but they, they thought this is a great idea. Let's, let's just disperse the church on Sunday. Let's not do Sunday church because this is not ecclesia. And so they ruin, the, 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 the only thing left that people like is the good church service on Sunday. Everything else is hard in life. And they go, no, we're going to have to go and get missional. You've all got to go and get missional and we'll send you out, take your Bibles out and walk the streets. And, and so what happens in the end, people are getting missional, but there's no fuel for their heart. And so they're drying up and they're giving from what they haven't got anymore. You know, so I know the answer to this is to be missional, but it's also to be fueled. So our, our mantra here, in case you've forgotten, is that all that we do is about filling your heart because it fuels your mission. So we can't just fuel, give you a mission and not fuel that mission. 
We've got to fill your heart first so it comes from an overflow and abundance. So as long as Sunday keeps filling people's hearts, we're going to keep doing Sunday. As long as we run the courses and the encounter retreats and, we, and the prayer times and all this stuff, then we'd be crazy to stop doing that. But if, but if we know that this time of refreshing requires something else, what is that something else? Is it just going to be an extra load on your backs or is it going to be something that actually works? Because it's the holy grail. It's become the holy grail, not only in Australia but globally. There isn't one move of God that's happened in the last 200 years that hasn't involved this missing ingredient. So let's have a look at this next graphic because this shows the whole thermometer. If the, if the zero is the, the place of faith, and we've talked about those who are warm and so on, in your, in your growth as a believer, we go through these stages and it's, you can't really escape them even though you can live all, all parts of that sort of at once. So if I talk about, say, the fruitful segment up the top, which means, and fruitful is different from just reproducing, because fruitfulness, anything that's fruitful, it gives birth to something, and the new thing already has, it's planted pregnant. So if, if a banana is grown or a, or a grapefruit is grown, it's already got a seed in it. That's multiplication. It's a whole different mindset. So that's fruitfulness. But a new Christian can be fruitful. A new Christian who's just crossed the line of faith there they can start inviting their friends to, to things and bring it to Alpha and so on, get them saved, no problem. And you can do it right through. But these stages of growth are significant and you can't escape them. So very quickly, let me describe them. Faith is basically where you cross the line of faith, you place your, your belief in Jesus to pay the price of your sin, you're, you're, you're in heaven, the positive spirit. We talked about it this morning. If you do nothing else for God in your whole life, you'll still get to heaven. It'll be like getting through the flames, like, whoo that was close. I haven't done anything for him, but I'm in, you know. Just made it, winner. Um, that's the line of faith. And Paul describes these people as Christians, love God, all that kind of stuff, but they're carnal Christians. They, they have faith, but nothing else. The faith is mental. They've received Jesus in their heart, but their faith isn't a lifestyle. It's a belief system. Faith means I'm relying on God. I'm living from God. So they've got a belief in their head, but they haven't found freedom yet. So he calls them carnal Christians living from their flesh, not living from the spirit. And he draws a very clear line there. And, and um, if you look at the science of it, the angle scale, it has this, this symbiotic relationship, if I can use those sort of words, between um, behavioral change and relationship with God. So you're getting closer to God, but as you get closer, your behavior changes, not because you're trying harder or trying to be a good person, but because you're getting closer to God. And as you get close to God, it changes your behavior. As you change your behavior, you get closer to God. And you get this beautiful little cycle going on that is a movement into this place called freedom. In the church, globally, uh, the stats of who's actually living in that place of freedom is way smaller than you would think. We say we've been hanging around church now for years, decades. I'm mature. But if I asked if you're the hard questions about are you living in freedom or are you still living according to your flesh, It'll be horrifying, the stats on that. But we won't go there. We're just assuming you're all way past that point. You get to the next point up there where you've lived a life of freedom. Then the question becomes about stewardship. It's like, I'm, I, just, I have it all. I've got heaven in the future. I've got heaven now. I'm free from sin. I'm free from the lifestyle of the flesh. I've got no addictions and stuff. Now it becomes about how do I steward this life? How do I steward this person that God has made me to be, the giftings and so on? And so you start to navigate what does following God look like where I'm hearing his voice as he's guiding me through this, this calling that he's got me on. But the holy grail is seven to eight. And if there's anything that's ever not landed in church world, it's this phase. 
This, for me, this is the whole missing piece of the jigsaw in church life, is that fruitful stage. Because if we're fruitful, because that's a sign of maturity, if we're fruitful, we're reproducing internally and externally. So I'm self-growing. I don't, I don't, if the church service blows up and we can't do this anymore, it makes no difference to my lifestyle with, with God. I'm fully there. I'm growing because of relationship and my own disciplines and so on. But I'm also growing others. I'm reproducing other people as well. So I'm witnessing. I'm, 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 if I'm a leader, I'm growing leaders, you know, all this sort of stuff. And this is a real sign of maturity. But for some reason, somehow, somehow, we've missed it. I don't know, I don't know how. But I know it's, it's the holy grail in Australia to find an ecclesia that's multiplying. Because if we had it, we wouldn't be having this conversation tonight. Because it would just be spreading like wildfire. Why did it spread like wildfire in, in its day? In Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4, why did it spread like wildfire? Well, the missing element was the Spirit. That's what made the difference. A people of prayer. We, we've, just, we've just spent a couple of months now going through the environment of the book of Acts. They were fully, in, in, uh, fully invested, sold their houses, you know, gave up their life, prepared to die for this thing. Pray, 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 believe, believe, and Lord... We're going to go out there and speak the word. It's probably going to cost us our life. Just give us the boldness to do it. That madness, that radical thing, that's what brings uh, this momentum in the fruitfulness. So I'm not going to... I, I put before, how do I do this without blowing up a church? How do I say, we're going to go for the red zone. We're living in the red zone, guys. I need you all to go out there now and multiply or you're not mature believers. Like, that won't work. That... <laughs> And you can see why it's the Holy Grail. It's like, how, how do we fill hearts in a way that fuels mission? So this is what's been nagging me uh, for such a long time now. And, uh, and I can't say I've come up with the answers yet. I can strategize for it. I can, I can talk about it in all sorts of ways. But you can't strategize your way into renewal. You can't strategize your way into church growth and multiplication, any of that but you can certainly pray your way into it because we've been started with this in mind. We started here and we had a few hiccups. We've grown, we've become the, we always knew we needed a bit of a mother church that could give birth to what God's going to do. But since the word go, we were six months in and COVID hit, then we're locked down. We've had, we've had everything against us now for four years. We've still managed to grow a nice, a nice comfortable feeling church, but the more comfortable you get, the less comfortable I get. And I know it'll start spurring all of our hearts eventually because so many people have come up this year and said, what's next, Pat? We didn't come here to get comfortable. But if we can do it without taking the comfort away, that'd be great. Isn't that true? Don't, don't screw up our Sundays, mate, because we like that stuff. So that's, that's the challenge. But this fruitfulness uh, comes, it should come naturally. I might bypass the next slide there, guys, and... Um, and I'll move on to, the, to my favourite one in a minute. But we need to navigate this path into fruitfulness. So we're already, according to the, to the previous chart, in, in sort of that embarrassingly top 10% of churches size-wise now. Um, but we began with this mission of filling hearts and fueling missions. So I'm, I'm resolute on that. But the pastoral side of me says, this has to happen without destroying people. The prophet and the apostle part of me says, this has just got to happen, whatever the cost. How do, we, how do we reconcile that? 
in the West because largely, and I'm looking for examples and I, I hope I find one soon, but I haven't found one. I haven't found one in Australia. But it must be there. So if it's got to be, if it's got to be us, then it's got to be us. But I don't want to do it pushing forward in man's strength, doing it man's way. But we're here to multiply people than to multiply churches. And uh, I, have, I have half a dozen core strategies for how we do that uh, in a movement-wide basis. But it's got to start, there's got to be an example. You can't talk your way. You can't infograph your way into this. You can't do any of that. It's going to have to be hearts that are radically shifted, that we're, that we're so enamored with God we can't put up, let up, or shut up until he takes us up. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, let me out there. Let me loose. We've just got to do this sort of thing. And it's got, a lot of it's going to be a part of, I think we're going to have to consider a shift in what are the radical minimums of this church. Because we've just said, everyone come. On a Sunday, yeah, come on in. We don't care what background, history, anything. Just come. Come and get communion. Come and meet with God's people. But to be called a Kenmore Church tribe member, to be part of our tribe, I think we've got to probably elevate the minimums of what that means. And so that may include things like, um, well, you, there's, there's, uh, you're connected, not just turning up on a Sunday, but you're connected in some form of a, of a community or group. There'll be some, it's, you're contributing with your spiritual gifts that God's enabled you with, that you come and play your part in the body, all of those sorts of things. But at some point we get beyond that and we've got to get to the, got to get to the red zone up there and say, what about, let's talk about multiplication. But if we just talk about multiplying here, there's going to be ramifications. If we crack the code on this, there's something extra going to happen. So I'll just get that next slide to come on up. Because we've got to take the conversation beyond you. You are important. This is important. But, if, but we've actually got to think of this strategically, statewide and internationally as well. That's sort of the role that's, that's fallen upon us a little bit as a church. What we've got here is a, is a framework that would actually make this work. It, this is like... 2023 version of, of Acts chapter 2. You know, you, you've got to have compliance, you've got to have strategy, you're building all this sort of stuff. But what if the fiery heart of, of Acts was rebirthed again? How could we become the wineskin, if I could put it that way? The wine, because Jesus said, you know, there's all these things that are happening that are, that are going to be different. And if you guys can't flex with it, the wineskin will burst. And the wineskin contained the wine. The wine was God's grace, His spirit, His power. He wants to be released into this world. He wants to release that to his ecclesia so that we're empowered and fired up. But the wineskin broke in his day, so he had to hit a complete reset on it. So we're going to say, are we going to be a wineskin that cracks open or are we going to be a wineskin that can flex? And so in our day, with all the, all the requirements of, of auditing and compliance and, and legalities and uh, safe people processes and um, we've got a pay the bills and we've got to have wages and we've got to have long service leave for people because they keep wanting to have holidays. You know, we've got to do this in a, in a sustainable way in the West. How do you do that? It ends up looking a bit like this. We're, at number one, we're, we're applying the process in here and, and you and you and you and you, you start multiplying. But what happens then is when you multiply, you're growing the ecclesia and the, and the ecclesia grows. So that's good, but it's not enough because now, we need, now we've got a leadership problem and that's where we're actually at right now. The biggest crisis in church world in Australia is not buildings and budgets, it's leadership. You, you look around and there's none to be found. All the faithful baby boomers and the Gen Xers, they've worked their hearts to the bone, they've given it till they can't give anymore and they're, and they're looking to disengage and say, can I sit in the back rows now and someone else do it? And they're saying, who's coming up behind us? And there's no one coming up behind us 
because the existing church system has broken a generation of young leaders. They're out, the 40s and the 30-somethings. They've gone, that, that congregation-led system where you want to have a church vote on everything and you've got church politics and people telling me what to do, I'm tapping out of that because we need radical change now. If you want to stick me in that old system that smells like cheese, I'm not doing it. And so they've gone. So we need a whole new generation of leaders. But if we get our discipleship right, and then as a church at Kenmore Church, we now say we need to have disciples who are becoming leaders, and those leaders, if they start doing their job, we're going to end up planting new churches down in the yellow zone there because they've come from this DNA and they've been disciples, they become a leader, now the leaders start planting churches, and that's the sort of church plant that we want to have, built by people who are multiplying, so that when we start a fellowship in those places, and I'd love to do that in the next 12 to 18 months, that we start planting one or two of these churches. I don't know who's going to lead them. I don't know how we're going to do it. But the models that I'm working with in the UK that are very close to ours, their churches are hitting 150 and they're going, it's almost too late for us to plant a church because we're so big. We've got nearly 500 regular attenders here. Theoretically, we could plant three or four churches in a heartbeat with the numbers of people that we've got. But it's got to come through this DNA. You can't shortcut this. We, if we tried to do it now, it would fail. So we need disciples who become leaders, leaders who grow churches, churches who end up growing networks. That's what we want to do now. Kenmore Church, we want to form a network of churches because churches who are on their own out there, they've got their own budget, their own building, they're all their own compliance and insurance and stuff. It's killing them. They need to join together in regional networks, all working together with a synergy of staffing. So I could run four churches, five churches from here, from probably the same cost as what it would cost us to run two. That's just being smart. That's what the book of Acts, that's why it worked. When he wrote a, a letter to the church at Ephesus, it wasn't to a, one church, it was the whole church in the whole city. A regional mindset. I think that's the, the missing element organisationally from church world. We need to form regional networks of churches that we're all working together, sharing resources, so all the money is going into ministry and mission. You do that, you're building a movement like Churches of Christ that becomes what it should be, not declining by 10% in five years. That's how we do it. Who wants in? <laughs> you want to pray about that before you put your hand up, I'll get you. But this is, this is you can see why I'm, I'm always frowning. Isn't it? <laughs> you know, Paul said, you know, we've got all these challenges, we've got all this stuff going on and, and there's sickness and there's all this. And then on top of that, he said, I'll wear the burden of the churches. There's the weight of all this stuff. This weight's been on my shoulders since before we started this thing. The concern for the churches. And I think this, these, these sorts of ideas are going to win the day. But it, but it won't come down to a strategy and an infograph on a screen. It'll come down to your heart saying, there's hope. These graphs aren't going to keep sliding down. My experience of church doesn't have to be smelly cheese. You know, these churches that are, that are 50 and dying, we can revitalise them. The money is there. I've found the money. We can revitalise. It's not an issue anymore. We can give them a coat of paint, the new car park. We can do all that. But we need the leaders. Where are the leaders going to come from? Right here. As we decide this thing is worth fighting for and paying a price for. There's, there's something I can be living for beyond myself. I'll give it up and I'll do this and I'll build someone else. And that's, it looks as easy as that. All I'm doing is I'm teaching someone to do what I do. So we're going to hope that every leader, every small group leader, worship leader, whatever leader in this church, they're not a leader anymore unless they're growing someone else with them to replace them. 
that a disciple, if we're a disciple, we can't call ourselves a disciple if I'm not growing a disciple. If you don't want to call yourself a disciple, that's okay, I'll still love you. I know, I know the challenges we all have with time and all that kind of stuff, but if we want to ha- reduce this down to the, the, a radical minimum, it's like, well, if I'm mature in this thing, if I'm, if I'm taking it seriously, I'm in the red zone and I'm going to commit X amount of hours in a month to growing someone else up relationally. I'm not going to send them an email. I'm going to be with them. We're going to do this thing together. It's different. And I think this is, that's the way to crack the code in Australia for where we go with churches. But it all begins with prayer. So I'm, I'm assuming that my first thing we do when we get back, uh, and, I'm, and next Sunday, this time next week, I'm on a plane to the UK and, and I'll get to spend two weeks with um, some of the best minds and godly people in the world that I've seen who are looking at the stuff. And they're 10 years further down the track and they've done it. They're planting churches faster than I can think of them and name them. It's uh, in the uh, Anglican Church in the UK. They have a 10-year vision to plant 10,000 churches. This is the stoic, this is the Anglicans, brother. You do anything, you've got to talk to the bishop. You know, in the 1970s, if you got someone saved in the UK, you'd hit the newspapers. It was so rare. Now, they're planting churches faster than they can name them. They're, ten, they're two years into this 10-year plan and they're, they're 2,500 churches in because they adopted what I'm talking about here. Very simple. It didn't start with an infograph. It started with someone called Nicky Gumbel, Alpha, just getting radical in his very discreet English way and going, we're just doing nothing else. We exist for this. Mature Christianity looks like this. And so Alpha pops out of that. And then now a whole heap of other stuff. So I've been really blessed to get interviews with all of their top staff over there. And it's God's just opened some incredible doors. So I'm, I'm on a mission. I'm hot to trot and dangerous. You know? So I don't know what I'm going to be like when I get back. Um, but, you know, one way or the other, it's going to be worth watching. <laughs> but my prayer is that this church becomes what we dreamed of when we started it. I've got nothing else to put my mind into. I've got nothing else I want to do. I love everyone here. But my weakness is pastoral care. And we're four years into this church now and we're now entering the phase of this church where it requires pastoral care better than what I can give it. Better than what this little rooster can give it. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just saying someone's got to fill that hole so we can get on with what we're supposed to be doing here in this church. And I can agitate and apostolize and prophetize and whatever else I'm supposed to do and be what God's designed us to be. So there's TED Talk done. I hope it inspires at some level to say, this is how it really is. This is how it really can be. But there's going to be consequences for me and for you, whoever wants to get on board. We do this thing like the old days, the hard way, one person at a time, one conversation at a time. I don't think there's ever been any other way to actually build the kingdom. You can build a church. You can build a kirche. Get a big building and flashy graphics and a a loudspeaker. You'll build a group of people. That's not what we came here for. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we commit this to you, these ideas. We don't want them to be man's ideas. We've, we've looked at data and we've looked at stats. And, but Lord, I, I want to keep resonating back to the Scriptures and Acts where you turn the world upside down. Lord, it started with you turning 12 people upside down and it became contagious from there. I pray you build a contagious core amongst us. That you'd so disrupt us that we can't think of anything else but growing a kingdom. That we go to our workplace and 
rather than seeing it as a way to build a retirement, as a, as a, it's a way that we can influence people. So, Lord, will you give us that fire back in our bones again? Will you restore the fire that started the church? Will get us into the red zone? Because anything less is selling short what you promised. So take us on, Father. Take us on as a church. Build your church in Jesus' name.